Greetings. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of the Legacy Drawing Board, the podcast journey and experience that wants you to build a stronger, more meaningful legacy by embracing good design principles. I'm your host, Ron Fong. This podcast is based on three principles. The first, it's his vision. It has to help you see yourself and your world through the lens of legacy design and building. The second, it's mission. To introduce you into the world of design and have you emerge as a storyteller. And finally, the all-important purpose. There is a perpetual need for leadership that calls us to edify others through building enduring relationships. I hope all of you have had an enjoyable Christmas and a happy 2024 to this new year. Now is a time for reflection, time for people to make resolutions. And for those of you who have been listening to podcasts, I hope this has helped you in terms of helping your vision, shaping your vision. And as you've been listening to the podcast, have you been able to discover your purpose, to clarify your vision, and to make a commitment to your mission? For today's episode, I interviewed Catherine Wergen Swikart, the author of The Compassion Remedy. That's how to leverage the psychophysiological benefits of compassion to beat burnout, renew relationships, enjoy greater well-being. And here's the interview. Well, I'm very pleased for this episode to interview my first author, uh, former MPH classmate, Catherine Wergen Schweikert, who's been a physician assistant for over 20 years and just recently completed her PhD in applied psychophysiology. She is the author of The Compassion Remedy, which is how to leverage the psychophysiological benefits of compassion to beat burnout, renew relationships, and enjoy greater well-being. Catherine, welcome to Legacy Drawing Board. Oh, that was so nice. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. It's so nice to be here with you. You've been a healthcare provider for over two decades. What led you to write a book? Yeah, well, I've always been a writer. I've I've kept a journal since I was a child. And so I've always used writing as an outlet for, you know, marking my joys and also dealing and processing frustrations. And so utilizing that over the years has been quite helpful for me. And then on this particular subject of compassion, I was I was noticing that I was feeling very burnt out and very frustrated and quite frankly a little bitter and angry about the state of affairs in healthcare. And so I started writing about that. And I've always been fascinated with compassion. So I put the two of those things together and felt inspired. And and that's how it started. What what is your working definition of compassion? Mm. My working definition of compassion would be that um, because it's it's multifaceted and it's not it's not uh, uh, it's hard to come up with an elevator speech on compassion. But if I had to, I would say that uh, compassion is the way we connect through action to help alleviate each other's suffering. Okay. You and I, we both were part of the pandemic as with you know, obviously millions of people in terms of healthcare. Right. Do you think there is a pre and post pandemic definition of compassion? Um, 
I think that there's a pre and post um, lived experience of compassion. Um, I think the definition remains the same before and after, but what we're experiencing in its presence and or absence is different, I think, pre and post. You talk about compassion to beat burnout, and that's a very topical subject in terms of healthcare. Yes. Oh, yes. We, we hear burnout, we hear moral distress, and we hear moral injury. Can you yeah. kind of talk about that to make sure that we are talking what we want to talk about? Right, right. Um, one of the things that really um, excites me is dispelling myths about things that are commonly believed to be true. So there's this phrase called compassion burnout. And it really, um, it's not physiologically possible. When you're in a compassionate state, it's all about dopamine, oxytocin, and reward centers in the brain. And this is functional MRI showing what lights up in your brain. And it's the reward centers in your brain when you're in a compassionate state. However, in an empathetic state, pain centers in our brain light up. And so when we are experiencing empathy, we are experiencing pain. And your brain doesn't know the difference between emotional pain and physical pain, in gen generally speaking. And so your brain, basically, when you're having that empathetic connection with another one, which I don't think is a bad thing, I think staying there for a long time is a bad thing, but having an empathetic hit is actually what happens at the onset of compassion. And so you you see somebody suffering and it hurts. You look at them and it's like, oh, I got I to gotta help this guy out or this gal out. And then you have that experience and then you start formulating a plan and then the reward centers light up in your brain and this is where compassion is different than other uh, emotional states like empathy or sympathy or pity or all of those other things where we have the reward centers in our brain lighting up and so then you put that in because you mentioned moral injury and I am no expert in moral in in injury by any state of, you know, any stretch of the imagination, excuse me. And so um, what I've learned about moral injury is it was defined in the military initially. And they talked about doing things that were against your moral values. And that is a moral injury, like um, combat warriors who would have to bomb cities that they knew were going to kill innocent people but that was their directive. So doing their directive held a moral injury to them, which is complex PTSD starts falling into this category then of moral injury versus, you know, just not doing something you, you, you want to, you know, that you're being told to do is different than moral injury. So in the healthcare um, setting, you know, thinking of moral injury, how often are we put in situations where it is against our morality to do what we're doing? And I think that that's very rare, but it can happen. You, you talk about compassion. It's interesting you talked about the reward center, how it lights up the reward centers in our brains with uh, MRI findings. Does that mean that the 
that once we start being more compassionate, that should lead to greater compassion because it provides us with rewards? I love that you asked that question because yes, because, you know, um, neurons that fire together, wire together, you know, we hear that all the time. And the neural pathways that we build when we continue to create compassionate actions in our life actually become easier and fire more rapidly over time. So, you know, it's always good to keep a beginner's mind when we're living in this world, right? Because none of us is, you know, really knows a whole lot about anything. But at the same time, there are there's some depth to becoming an expert in compassion for yourself with practicing compassionate acts for yourself like self-compassion and compassion for others as well so once we do more practice it happens more rapidly we get reward centers going off and i don't know if this has happened to you but i can say for a fact that practicing medicine is a bit of an addiction because it feels so good to help other people, right? That I can't imagine not doing it. I feel like there would be this huge hole in my life if I weren't doing something to serve my fellow human being in this way. And so, yes, fires faster, gets things done more efficiently in the brain, reward centers in your brain. And I always joke if there's going to be like, a CA, like a Compassion's Anonymous one day, because everybody's just so lit up and addicted to compassion. You talk about self-compassion. Does someone have to establish sort of a baseline with self-compassion before being able to be compassionate with others? I don't, I know this is against popular belief, but I, I do not believe that that is true because I have worked with many, many great healers and very compassionate individuals that can display incredible acts of compassion for other people and not lose their vitality in doing it, but they still have very little self-compassion for themselves. And so I think that they are skills that overlap, but they have very distinct and different ways of um, performing these compassionate acts. And um, clearly the thing that distinguishes them is one is directed itself and one, the other is directed outward. And again, I want to be careful about the overlap or confabulating, you know, compassion and burnout. But yeah. we often hear about burnout saying that's important to take care of oneself, to yeah. be able to set boundaries and be able to say no. Right. Uh, uh, given that, uh, how you know we're in terms of the model of compassion uh what is the relationship between self compassion and compassion for others well i think that it is important when you really start investigating and moving closer to compassion and deciding how you want that to show up in your life and where you want that to show up in your life that you really take stock of what you have to offer and how much you have to offer and wh what lights you up and what brings you down. And that is an act of self-compassion and knowing where to set a healthy boundary of how much you can give to another human being because people mistake 
alleviating others suffering for alleviating all of the suffering and that's not possible because we're human beings and we have suffering in our life it's a part of life we're going we're born we live we get sick we die it's going to happen to all of us you know nobody gets out alive and so knowing this having that space and that moment of curiosity of how much can I give in this life and still maintain my vitality? And also it's really interesting because I think a lot of the times, and especially, I don't know, in healthcare, we tend to do this. We overestimate how much people actually need. That's interesting. When you say we overestimate, uh, what is what is some of our bias or basis for this overestimation? Well, that's a good question. And I'm not sure I know the answer to that. But um, my best guess is that throughout our training, we're told that we have this capacity to heal other people, that we are healers, right? And that's a big job. And that takes a lot of effort and practice and education, knowledge, patience, compassion, empathy. I mean, it's a big job. And coming from a patient standpoint, what do they actually need from us? Mm. They, they don't need us to come in robes and wands of flying. They need us to come in and be present. And they need us to come in to guide them. They need us to come in to be their sense of hope and their access to cures that are not accessible to them otherwise because we know the risks and the benefits of the remedies that are available through allopathic medicine right so well go ahead no 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 i, I you, you i just in your title of your book you talk about renewing relationships yes with compassion how does compassion renew relationships oh my goodness you know, I've experienced this both personally and I've seen it with other people. When we realize the common humanity that we share as human beings, that we all want the same things, we all want to be free, we want to be healthy, we want to be safe, and we want to be happy. And we want that for everybody we love. Right? Mm-hmm. And I always look at it as like, we all have the same root system, but different flowers. So what happiness, safety, freedom, and health looks like to me is going to be wildly different than somebody else. Or it could be similar. And so when you start having that basis of compassion, of common humanity, and our lived experiences are going to all be different when you can really take that in and go, wow, even the person who is in direct opposition to me, I can renew that relationship through this, this lens of common humanity, knowing that, hey, they want the same things I want. They want to be safe, happy, healthy, and free. And we can connect on that level and renew relationships. We can form bonds with people we might not be able to form bonds with when you when you're thinking you know outside of these terms of us and them there is no us and them and so this this aspect of compassion has incredible um fertile ground for 
incredible renewal of relationships. And, and it can be as simple as, you know, just, you know, somebody in your family, they, they're annoying you with whatever they're doing. And, and you can say to yourself, you know what, I bet it's sometime in my life, I've been, I've been annoying to them. And right now I'm going to, I'm going to open up some grace. I'm going to open up some patience and give them a compassionate, you know, space to be in. And, and sometimes that means going into another room and waiting until your feelings mellow out. <laughs> sometimes compassion is space and space is what brings us closer. So it's, now that you have augmented your skill set with your PhD, Catherine, for the next steps, the next chapters of your life as a healer, uh, what's the vision? What's the mission? What's the purpose? Um, see, now it's so funny because people ask me why I've done this. And I say, well, when you figure out why you're born, you better get to it. And so for me, what I, what I want to do, I mean, ultimately what I want is for my life to matter in a way that when I leave this planet, it is more compassionate, kind, and accepting because I'm going to be leaving my son behind. And I want him to grow up in a world and to have a world that has more of this. And I want that for all of the people that I leave behind when it's my time to go. I don't want the world to be unaffected by my presence. And I don't think it should be for any of us. I think we we all have our gifts and our talents and what we bring to one another. And I hope against hope that we all wake up in a way that allows us to use them for the betterment of all. The phrase tough love, and I know that's gonna mean different things to different people right. is, is there room for tough love in Absolutely. compassion? Absolutely. Because I can tell you, what I, I always relate this to teenagers because this is like the, the clearest one across the board where everybody's been a teenager, they know a teenager, they have a teenager. And boy, do teenagers act in some really aberrant ways when the hormones are crazy and the frontal lobe isn't always connected and so they do these things you know that you think why with is your amygdala that big yes it is <laughs> and so they do these crazy things and so you know after they do you know do something crazy i don't know you could pick anything out of the sky but once that happens do you do you come at them if they're driving down the wrong side of the freeway because they wanted to see what it was like. Do you come at them with, oh, are you okay? I mean, did what, what made you think that was a good no? You come at them with, hey, there are consequences for these actions. And these are the consequences. And I'm going to hold the space for you very strongly so that you understand what you did was not okay. It was never okay. And I'm going to set you over here and we're going to go over it. And it's not, you don't have to be mean. You can be firm and you can put up boundaries and you can allow people to know that they did something wrong. And in a tough love sort of way, you give them what they need in order to do better next time. Catherine, for those who are thinking about entering healthcare. Yeah. Uh, whether they're teenagers, college students, 
young adults, what advice would you give to them in the year 2023, soon to be 2024? Remember who you are. Never forget that. Remember why. Never forget your why. Why did you start it? And do your best to not be knocked off your center. Sage, sage words. Yeah. And do it with compassion. As we seen medicine change with the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, telemedicine became an entity in terms of healthcare. moving forward technology and so forth you know everyone's got some type of body sensor or the smart homes all these things as we're moving forward in healthcare. Mm -hmm. how does the advance and the greater incorporation of technology how does that factor in towards our compassion as healthcare providers? Well, it's got a couple of different ways because here's the thing. There are some patients who get so anxious showing up in our office that their blood pressure rises, that they have a physiological response to just being in the office. And there are some things that you don't have to be in the office for that you could, I mean, Back in the day, we used to call our doctors and say, hey, I've got this cold, blah, 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 blah. And they'd say, oh, that sounds like a sinus infection. Let me do this for you and take care of that for you. All right. See you later. Bye. If it doesn't get better in a couple of days, come back and see me. Right. We stopped doing that. And I think it was a liability thing. We stopped doing that. We stopped um, really... Uh, being able to access our physicians and we as healthcare providers didn't have the capacity to have the same types of relationships with our patients as historically we have in medicine. And so I think, and time will tell, that this ability to get people in that, can, that would not be able to even have contact with us will get more contact with them. The people who are afraid to drive or are waiting for a driver who don't have a driver, who have to depend on other people, those people will be getting more help. Now, on the flip side, is there more connection? Well, a little connection is better than none. But when people use it to avoid connection, that's where it gets tricky. And how to tell the difference, you know, is going to be seen over time, I suppose. I'm sure somebody out there has a theory, but um, yeah, I think that there's there's a ton of compassion in allowing access in a way that actually reaches the patient. It's often been said, men are from Mars and women from Venus. Yeah. In terms of the compassion dynamic, since compassion is about relationships yeah. with others and with yourself. So for, you know, the four quadrants, men, 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 women, 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 and I guess women, men again. Yeah. Is there, is there you know, that, that dynamics, does someone have to be aware of the specific dynamic? And I won't say alter compassion, but be cognizant that it's going to be a different situation than if it were the other gender. Hmm. Clarify that for me. Sure. Uh, 
compassion, mm-hmm. as you said, to alleviate suffering or, you know, to help reduce suffering from another individual. Mm-hmm. For perhaps a little stereotypical here, but for compassion, if I have a, let's say my, my a friend, a buddy, and we're even just a, uh, a recreational softball game or something like that. Mm-hmm. And let's say he, he struck out. Yeah. He feels terrible, right? And I know this is nothing like healthcare, it's nothing major. No, this is, this but is I want good. but I want to be I want to be compassionate because he's my friend. Right. So, you know, is it one of those things where I say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Come on, let's go down to a local pizza hut, you know, and have our beer and pizza, right? right. Slap right. on the back or hey, I've done worse. Let's laugh it off, or you know, things of that nature. Right. Is it different? Is it different if it were a female teammate? where mm-hmm. you see it as perhaps a little bit more internalized or, you know, again, I don't want to be stereotypical, but men are probably less likely to be forthcoming or articulate their feelings. Whereas for women, I understand this after, oh my goodness, 30, I got to do the math, Catherine, 37 yeah. years of marriage. I think I've a little <laughs> bit of insight in terms of that, or hopefully so. my wife has been good enough in terms of training me <laughs> to understand that when women speak they're not necessarily looking for a solution right they want to be heard it's the relationship that's important and it took me some time (laughs) to understand that when my wife was telling me about a day she wasn't looking for me to solve a problem right so does that kind of help the clarify the question or does it make the question even murkier well that's okay let me see if i answer i'm going to try to answer and you tell me if i'm off base in my you know if i'm like totally out well you're but, the phd expert Catherine. So right. <laughs> well i want to make sure i'm answering the correct question okay because that can that can be tricky in in as i learned in my research you got to answer the question you're asking right <laughs> otherwise it's not you know useful um so i would say that one of the most compassionate things that you can do when interacting with one another is ask the question, hey, you know, does this person want advice or do they want me to listen? That's one. And I've actually taken up the practice because I actually have a very masculine quality of wanting to fix things. When people come to me and start telling me their stories, I'm like, oh, I got this. I, 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 you know what we can do with that? I can, I got an answer for that. I got, I can fix that. And so it's a really interesting thing because I have to, I had to learn how to ask people, do you want me to listen or do you want a solution? And then what it does is it lets me off the hook because most of the time they say, I want you to listen. And it lets me off the hook because then I can say, oh, I can relax now because I don't have to keep working to find a solution for them. I can just simply be here and hold space and be present for them. How cool is this? This is the easiest thing I've ever done. And it's rewarding because I know I'm giving them what they need. And so asking the question is important, but it is true that men and women's brains are wired differently and there are differences in the physiological ways that the brains function. So, um, but I'm thinking that, I think that men actually have an incredible capacity for compassion and that it shows up in such beautiful, strong, and powerful ways that compassion is always kind of thought of as a soft skill or something nice to have 
but not necessary. And it's also been kind of given this very feminine kind of vibe about it, right? But when we're talking about true compassion, and um, I talk about a story, I'll just, a story in my book is when my my father, his wife was passing away. He, he, he was so destroyed and brokenhearted about her passing that he just wanted to leave the room. He couldn't tolerate the pain of watching her pass when we took the life support off. And I was in the room with him and I sat him back down and I said, hey, I'm strong enough. You're going to have to borrow my strength. And I got him to sit back down. And it was in that moment where I realized, wow, that was probably the greatest act of compassion that I've ever experienced in my life, both from him and from me in that moment, because he was able to be honest with me about how he was feeling so that I knew what was going on. I was able to express and notice what was going on. And, and that's kind of a fierce compassion to tell somebody when they want to leave a room when somebody's dying that, no, you must sit back down because this is part of being human and it's hard. And you can borrow some of my strength while you're experiencing this and sit back down and be in that painful, rugged, awful situation but being in it with an ease and grace and softness that is unparalleled to anything in the human experience. It's gorgeous. It's painful, but it's gorgeous. And compassion does that a lot. It shows up in these areas where you think that's awful or, you know, but you turn it into something beautiful because you show up for it in a meaningful way. And that's the key is a meaningful way. And you were talking about how men and women do things a little bit differently. All it has to be is in a meaningful way for the two people that are there. It doesn't have to look like anything in particular. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me, Catherine. Yeah. Did it answer your question? Yes, it did. Good. That's and I, I, I did learn after a while to ask my wife what she needed, what she wanted. Uh, then would she would tell me that, you know, I want you, I just want you to listen. Of course, I pushed the envelope and uh -huh. my follow my follow question to her was, okay, I'm here to listen. How long do you want me to listen? <laughs> right. <laughs> Is this gonna be all day? Cause <laughs> yeah, I got I got things to do and I, I do want to be compassionate, but I do have a schedule. So I I, I realized, all right. Just ask one question and, and leave it at that and don't don't have a follow-up question. Don't have a follow-up. That's probably yeah. solid advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I plan to release this episode uh, January 2nd, Catherine, as people are making New Year's resolution. I love and it. And for the people that want to say, I want to be more compassionate. Oh, you have wow. any you have any tips for them for their New Year's resolution? Yeah, first off, I want to say if that's your if that's your New Year's resolution, I love you. Thank you. That makes me so happy. And yes, I think that um, the opportunities for compassion are vast. And, um, you know, there are there are ways to do things broadly and ways to do things deeply. 
And an example of that is like meditation, like doing a recorded a, a recorded meditation that somebody else is guiding you through is kind of a broad, kind of like it's more superficial, it's kind of broad and it's easier to do. And then there's the deeper meditations where you're with yourself and you stay with yourself even when it's uncomfortable without any guidance in a way where you're guiding yourself into your deeper parts of yourself. So with compassion, it's much the same. There are wide ways and deep ways. And so I would suggest at first, try the wide ways because you can be compassionate without doing anything at all. Mm, Sometimes right. doing nothing is the greatest action you can take. So one of the things I suggest to people in their, in their beginning of a compassionate um, practice is to do the little things well. So a lot of times we jump in when it's not necessary. And so kind of noticing those moments and this way, the compassion goes both ways for yourself and the other person. When you see somebody struggling and you want to jump in and do something right away, ask questions, find out what it is they really need, and then hold the space for that for yourself for being either correct or wrong about what you thought they needed and then being able to deliver what they need without depleting your own vitality. Cause that's a really important thing is also to keep a barometer, some kind of measurement of where you're at in your energy levels and your capacity. Right. And again, I would add for them, for individuals who want to, make increasing compassion a new year's resolution another step would be to go out and get your book uh, yeah. remedy. please uh, do <laughs> so where, where where can they order your book Catherine? well you can get it you can get it at barnes and noble amazon walmart um uh soon um in january i'll be doing i'll be having it in independent bookstores around sacramento but that isn't going to happen until the end of um, the year. And if you go to, um, Ireland and Scotland, it, it it's there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Inter international, international, you got international, Catherine. Yes, I did. So there, yeah. So you just, you can, uh, get on my website, katherineschweikert.com. And then, uh, you can, uh, contact me if you want to know where in Ireland and Scotland it is, because I can, I can direct you. And if you have any other questions for me or you'd like to hear me speak at an event that you need, I'm happy to do that too. Catherine, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy catching up with you. You too. Uh, it's great uh, to see your face. I know are, it's... <laughs> are you still playing the violin? I switched to the cello. Oh my goodness. I did. You know, I could never get the squeakiness gone out of the violin. I was just... <laughs> So I thought I and I always preferred playing on the strings that had the more kind of a lower, more calming kind of feel about it. And so I switched over to the cello and I haven't looked back. I'm still not great, <laughs> but I have fun. <laughs> well, Catherine, I, you have definitely made your mark and you are building a worthwhile legacy with the work that you do. And again, thank you for being a guest on a legacy drawing board. Hey, thank you for having me. Catherine talked about compassion as being 
important basis for relationships, whether you're renewing them or making them more meaningful. And also for the individual who practices compassion, that it grows. The more you do it, the better you get at it, and the greater benefits that you receive from it. Time for reflection in terms of this, as you are building your legacy, designing it, how are you incorporating compassion into your legacy? Because the compassion that you bestow upon other people, or the ones that you practice, that's going to make you a better leader because you're going to start edifying others. And again, it's about the idea of building enduring relationships. And I hope that you'll get off to a good year for 2024 in terms of either building new relationships or renewing ones uh, from the past. And if you're interested in exploring how to build your legacy through design, I invite you to visit my website and uh, website that's truenorthshepherding.com and sign up for a complimentary session on how we can work together. And for those of you who have been exploring, been discovering your purpose, clarifying your vision, and making a commitment to your mission, uh, please uh, send me a line at rfong at truenorthshepherding.com. I would love to hear your stories because that's part of this mission is to make people or grow people in terms of their storytelling skills. Compassion. Practice it. Practice compassion in terms of for yourself, for others. And when you do that, when you add that to your legacy, we all benefit. For my next episode, I'll talk about legacy and leadership lessons from entrepreneurs and small business owners. Take care.